0: Jump straight into this one, but I want to give a short definition of what bioremediation is because we reference it several times before explaining it, and it's still not commonly known. Bioremediation is using plants, fungi, and bacteria to clean up land and water pollution or toxic sites. Later in the interview, Robin goes into detail about it, and you'll find some links in the show notes on Bloom Network's website welcome to another episode of the bloom podcast i'm your host magenta siva and i'm joined here today by robin gunkel who is the director of the bloom chapter in baltimore and she does amazing work with mushrooms and sustainability and community building and the arts and it's just a real gift to talk to her today i look forward to a really beautiful interview welcome robin
1: hi magenta it's great to be here Thank you for in inviting me to be part of this. Of
0: course. Thank you for being on this journey with us through Evolver into Bloom Network all these years.
1: Yes, it's been a, it's been a transition. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, nine years now. I hosted the first Evolver um, Spore in Baltimore in June 2009. So yeah, it's um, almost 10 years now. You recently went to something called the New Moon Mycology
0: Summit. You also went to a micro-renewal training or retreat connected with it. So tell us all about what that was. What was exciting? What did you learn?
1: Sure. I went to uh, Windale, New York, which is uh, north of uh, New York City, for a four-day intensive training with co-renewal. That is a women-led group of organizers and scientists who are working on cleanup of industry oil spills in the Amazon, specifically uh, sucumbios. There have been 714 million gallons of oil leaked into the Ecuadorian Amazon. And um, these oil pits are disrupting ecosocial systems and contaminating people and, and the environment. And so they're working on-the-ground mycological solutions. Can you share
0: some specifics about what they're doing in the Ecuadorian Amazon to clean up the soil and or water? And did they you know, directly instruct people how to do that in cities wherever they live? or what sort of things were they showing you to work on?
1: They actually didn't present as much on the direct oil cleanup. There were a lot of presentations on different bioremediation projects that people are working on. And so Ami Sacho is a a project that's led by someone named Lexi Groper. She's a member of CoRenol, and so she's teaching women how to grow their own mushrooms and that the substrate from the mushrooms can be used for bioremediation. Her family is also buying land that was formerly farmland to turn it back into rainforest. Wow. And, and so she's involved in this reforesting project, and that's the work that she's doing. And then her lab at Amisacho is part of the larger co project. Um, a lot of these women that came together for this course had actually been working long distance and had never met each other in person before. And so they're all like, bringing together different skill sets of grant writing and science and, and organizing. And it seemed the main thing that I really heard from them is that they're looking to build more like on-the-ground relationships with people and that they get a lot of contact Of people that are interested in doing micro remediation work, but that really what they need right now is to do more fundraising Mm -hmm. and uh, to also build more on the ground relationships, and that there's a real anti or um, uh, decolonization work. That's involved with this too, kind of like a recognition of them being like outsiders from North America, coming to do this work in South America, and them having skills to offer versus like maybe what is needed there. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sort of real awareness that they're able to kind of go home away from the problem, and that other people are living next to these unlined oil pits, and that that's, that's part of their daily life. So I know that they've been doing work with growing oyster mushrooms to work on uh, breaking down like the hydrocarbon bonds of the the oil, but -hmm. they didn't talk as much about some of the specific, um, Mm -hmm. like they gave us more of like an overview of co And then we heard a lot from Lexi on the work that she's doing with Amisacho And building community relationships there with the the women and getting like a larger, I guess, community base of support and also helping to empower people there. Um, But there were other presentations like on microfiltration by a group called um, MycoEvolve. And Alex Dore, who's the author of myco Handbook, he uh, talked about using oyster mushrooms to eat cigarette butts. So there was, there was a lot of uh, different talks that we took in. Wow. And koh organized organized uh, this four-day intensive training to teach people about bioremediation. And then this was followed by a, a New Moon Mycology Summit, that was organized by a woman named Olga, who runs uh, Smugtown Mushrooms in Rochester, New York. So it was, uh, it was a week-long mycological bioremediation that was women-led. And um, it just an incredible uh, amount of information. And the, the New Moon Mycology Summit was also so inspiring. There was a water protectors panel. And... Courses on like spirituality, but also science and mycology, and all of it uh, blending and, and connecting together. And it was really beautiful to see all of those pieces coexisting.
0: What were some of the science-related
1: courses? Some of the science? Uh, well, at the uh, New Moon Mycology Summit, there's a chemist named Mandy Quark that gave like a two-hour long talk on the chemistry of mushrooms and broke it down for people who didn't have a a science background. Um, I actually found the science piece... A little bit daunting because I'm coming from a humanities background and a lot of people in that community are already coming from science backgrounds or from other ecology related degrees. Mm-hmm. So It actually has inspired me to take a chemistry class to be able to enter into that conversation more deeply. I'm wondering
0: if you can give listeners a
1: definition of what bioremediation is? Sure. Uh, so bioremediation is working with nature to heal nature. And so using plant uh, microbe and fungi allies in the process of earth healing. There's a, I guess, a lot of mystique around um, mushrooms right now. And with good reason, there's a lot of work that mushrooms can do to break down hydrocarbon bonds and eat PCBs and PAHs but mushrooms are not necessarily the, the only ally in this process and that you need like, multi-kingdom, multi-species approaches to complex problems.
0: I, I think someone told me they grew up in Honduras and they were using sunflowers to help pull up some kind of toxin from the soil in an old dump site
1: near the uh-huh. they grew up Yeah, on. Yeah, sunflowers pull up lead from the soil are good, Uh, so using like sunflowers for phytoextraction.
0: And then do you have to dispose of the sunflowers afterward? Do they then contain the lead? And what do you do with that?
1: Yeah, and so that's one of the big questions for bioremediators, and it's also like an ethical question. Um, Lila Darwish talks about it in her book Earth Repair. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes um, bioremediators, they might choose to have like a sacrifice zone on the area of land that they're working on and to hyper accumulate and contain the lead or contain, you know, whatever like toxic metal it is yeah. in, in one specific area. Or you might choose, you might hyper accumulate those metals and then have maybe like the compost from those plants sent off to like a, a special toxic dump. And so it really sort of depends on like, what's right for the community um, and that specific site of land and, and what the future uses for it are. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're just ethical questions, whether you want to send the problem somewhere else or whether you want to contain the problem there, but does that still cause potential health concerns? for right. the Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, heavy metals can't be broken down any further. They're, they're elements. So uh, mushrooms in heavy metal remediation tend to play more of an assisting role with microbes and plants, either going for a strategy of hyper, like hyper-accumulating the metals and pulling them out of the soil or immobilizing the metals and making them less bioavailable. And sometimes a combination of methods is used. And as I describe all this to you, this knowledge is coming from um, my readings. I've uh, started a bioremediation project, but I'm still in a very early stage with it. And that's called Rise A Renewal Collective? Yes. So I um, helped uh, spearhead a remediation collective uh, to work on the remediation of a lot in Johnston Square in East Central Baltimore. And uh, it's a couple of blocks from Charm City Farms, uh, which is an urban farm that teaches uh, lots of classes and uh, is doing community work in the neighborhood. And uh, we were given permission uh, the end of last year to take soil samples from this lot that we then uh, sent off to the University of Delaware and found out that the lead content of the soil is at 1,200 parts per million, and the U.S. standard for lead is 400 parts per million, and that that's still high compared to European standards for lead. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we have this lot, and we've been um, encountering challenges of having lots of rain this season and having numbers that need to like bring a lawnmower and then they have a 40-minute drive and they're not able to come because it's raining days on end. Our connection with Charm City Farms, unfortunately, she was just diagnosed with Lyme disease. So that's also another piece that we're working with too and being able to gain access to Charm City to get our lawnmower and tools. And so there are all these sort of really practical on-the-ground pieces that we're just learning to sort out right now. At summer people are also on vacation so uh, kind of just like working to build capacity and moving towards like having a couple of beds so that we can test out different me- methods of phyto extraction and also immobilizing the metals in the soil to collect different data.
0: And is this work connected with your PhD program or any other academic or reporting in that sense? Or is it more part of the kind of DIY community around mushrooms and bioremediation and, you know, community solutions to these environmental issues that we're facing in so many places?
1: I would say it's both. There was the PhD that has catalyzed this work and that's leading a large part of the process. Uh, I'm pursuing a PhD in sustainability education with Prescott College. And uh, my work in organizing Mushroom City Art Festival, a festival that I've been organizing for the last six years, has really led me also in this direction of being interested in working with plants and uh, fungi allies and in earth healing. But the PhD is also bringing like a whole nother level to the work and that I'm seeing the decolonization work that is is happening that I wish to explore through the PhD and identifying myself as a settler that's undertaking this work and getting into the deeper history of the lot and looking at the indigenous history of the larger Chesapeake Bay watershed and looking at the history specifically of the Johnston Square community and how it was uh, white Irish immigrants that were originally um, in this neighborhood. And how it later became an African American neighborhood, and kind of seeing how my piece in this and Rise a Renewal Collective's piece in this, that we also need to address uh, a level of uh, decolonization too, um, to really undertake this work in a way that is respectful and um, working in alignment with the community.
0: Mm-hmm. I recently posted a, a graphic on my Tumblr about like, decolonize your medicine one plant at a time. And I got a bunch of questions from kids being like, what is decolonization? And then right. someone resp- I haven't responded yet, but someone responded to them. Like, if you find yeah. out, let me know. Yeah. Um, and I know, like I've been reading and, and learning from indigenous folks directly and so forth about mm-hmm. that. And if I understand right, the, from a Native American perspective anyway, the the goal of decolonization ultimately is giving lands back to Indigenous leadership. and But I know that often uh, settlers will use that term and possibly other Native people, I'm not sure, more broadly. I'm just curious what the discussion is in your PhD program and mm-hmm. any insight you have into that spectrum of words from decolonization to anti-colonial solidarity work mm-hmm. and um, a more broad anti-colonialism approach which is always strikes me as funny because in the sense that mushrooms um are colonizing is like a a word that you use in mushroom language because that's just Mm -hmm. what they do when they move across a thing and certain Mm -hmm. species will out compete each other for the nutrients when you're cultivating mushrooms you have to be careful to that a mushroom you're not trying to cultivate doesn't um grow over the things but that's Kind of a side note, but um, I'm just wondering if you can provide some context for people, because I I think a lot of people aren't familiar with what decolonization means. So I'm curious to hear more. Oh,
1: sure, sure. And that's, um, I didn't quite know how to weave that yet into my reply. So I'm really happy for you to bring that up. And that there is a push for the word uh, decolonization to only be used in the context of the return of Lands to Native people. And so it's something that I'm aware of. And I was actually asking a mentor about this last week, like, should I be using the word decolonization? And what he really advised me was to trouble that language in my own scholarly work, and to really analyze it in its complexity, because it is part of the larger cultural zeitgeist, and part of a larger movement, and to really kind of come to my own terms uh, with whether I should be using decolonization. And, you know, I'm choosing to kind of use it right now in my language, because I do see that as like a, a key piece of this work, and recognize that there's some like inherent complexity with it as well. And, you know, maybe want to consider using anti-colonial solidarity as another way to speak about this work. And then I'm sort of open to thoughts here and to like receiving feedback on that. Um, another piece that you brought up, which really um, hits the nail on the head and that I really uh, heard talk of at the micro-renewal course and the New Moon Mycology Summit, is the mycological culture itself and being male dominated, but also having this symbolism embedded within it of this white mycelium that's uh, colonizing a brown substrate and oyster mushrooms being like this white mushroom that's really good at eating oil and plastic. That's true. Uh, but also, you know, kind of like the dude that's, you know, it's all about him and like coming to, to save the day. And, you know, recognizing that like we're a part of embedded networks and that the things that people are working on, they're not accomplished solely by individuals, but there's a complete network of support that helps uh, any individual in the work that they're doing. So thinking like white male saviors or um, people that we see, I don't know, at the forefront of different movements or in history and, and forgetting that there is like an entire network of other people that supported that person in the work that we're doing, that they were doing. And that there's this, our culture tends to be hyper focused on the, the individual and forgets that work really happens um, collectively. So that's part of the conversation too. And something that I certainly want to more deeply investigate in my studies.
0: Well, thank you for that beautiful description. And that reminds me to ask you, too, with the summit that you were just at, when you first came back, you made a post on social media just glowing about your experience and how deep it was. And I'm wondering, you know, I jumped into the nerdy questions right away, but I'm curious what your experience, perhaps spiritually or community-wise, was there? What did you find inspiring and so moving? Um, I think in your post you had compared it to as more impactful than being at burning man.
1: For- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, being part of a regenerative rhizome, um, in it, which also is what bloom network is, um, being part of like a, uh, this on the ground solution. Like I'm, you know, doing with Rise A Renewal Collective and the Johnston Square community and eventually like the, the plants and microbes and all of us like doing this work together on the the lot in Johnston Square. And then seeing that as just a small, like it's a piece of a much larger rhizome. And that by doing that work, like I'm contributing to the knowledge and work of a larger network. And that was really kind of powerful to to recognize and to feel very accepted and embraced by this community. Um, I've been organizing Mushroom City Art Festival for six years which came out of my work with Evolver and Bloom Network and wanting to bring people together around important ideas and inspire people. But I'm not a cultivator. I, I don't cultivate mushrooms. And by virtue of not driving, living in the city, I don't go out on a lot of forays or do much foraging which is something that I want to remedy uh, very soon and get a driver's license. Uh, But that piece, that connecting piece of now undertaking this work for the lot, I know, like it opened a new door and a new conversation for me and to tap me into this network that I have so much respect for and that I really see as planting the seeds for Future regenerative culture.
0: Mm -hmm. Tell us what Mushroom City Arts is. What are you doing with it? What's the history of it? What's exciting to you about it? What's happening this year?
1: Yeah, so um, Mushroom City Art Festival is going into its sixth year, and it is a mushroom festival that happens um, outside in West Baltimore in Leakin Park. It's a one day. Eight-hour festival, all ages, and it's it's free. And we have um, nature art trails and forays, and interactive musical instruments, and uh, mycological talks, and uh, lots of musical performances. There's an equal emphasis on mycological education and also on arts, and it brings together a lot of people. Some of them have a serious mycological interest. Some people are coming for the first time and they're looking for, like, you know, a fun thing to do for the day. And that I I have worked on hosting this festival to, I don't know, like build the community rhizome. And that I think it's really important to think about structuring in an event in a way that builds community rather than operating um, within the construct where. The festival is more about, you know, making money for a producer, and people interact uh, really differently in a free community event than they, they do an event that's highly monetized. And so mm-hmm. that that's something that I think about a lot in the construction of the festival. And this year we have uh, William uh, Padilla Brown from MycoSymbiotics, and he's going to talk about cordyceps mushroom farms. I met someone at the Myco Renewal course. Uh, His name is Evergreen. He's a mushroom cultivator from California. He's actually inspired to come out. He's going to fly out for Mushroom City, and he's going to talk about bioremediation. We have a a researcher from Hopkins, Dr. Fred Barrett, he's going to talk about the neuropsychology of music, but also like related to the psilocybin studies that are happening at Hopkins and the role of music in those sessions. So there's a lot of uh, variety at the festival, and we have some new organizers that are are helping bring the festival together this year and bringing new ideas. And uh, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. That's amazing. What has been the most fulfilling
0: thing for you about organizing Mushroom City Arts? Wow.
1: Um... Probably like the satisfaction the day of the festival and all the gratitude that's expressed because people realize that it's a gift. So many people like saying thank you and uh, seeing people, I don't know, really like come together as like a kind of uh, village. And uh, that that's really, um, I don't know, like a, amazing to see happen after putting all the work into to hosting the festival, which is uh, sometimes a little bit of an uphill battle, you mm-hmm. know, just to get get all of the, the art up and coordinating all of the infrastructural pieces that, that bring it together. It's been um, me mainly organizing it with a lot of help um, from a couple of uh, key people and this year, we have some more people uh, stepping forward who've previously, like, led forays and gave talks, and some of those women are now are helping organize the festival, too. So, um, it's really uh, wonderful to have that organizational network expanded. I should also mention that we unfortunately lost one of our grants due to the grant office Um not because we, have, we didn't lose the grant because I didn't get it, but we weren't provided information this year on how to apply for it. But if anyone's uh, interested in giving donations to Mushroom City Art Festival, that would help us with covering the cost for this year's festival. And so you could go to mushroomcityartfestival.org and there's a donation button on the page. And um, it's through PayPal. Uh, and just to select the friend's family option. We would greatly appreciate any support. Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that, and thank you for asking for the support that you need this year. What are your future dreams for the festival? I know you've mentioned that, more robust support would need to come in to help make it sustainable to continue doing in terms of people support, possibly financial support and that sort of thing. Um, If that comes in and you're able to keep going, um, do you have future dreams for, for where that will go, what will come out of it, how that may spawn more bioremediation projects and that sort of thing or how do you see that mycelium beneficially continuing to enter into people's lives and then receiving the gifts of the relationship with the mushroom kingdom and and all the community that comes out of that festival too.
1: Well, I was really inspired being at the New Moon Mycology Summit and by uh, Olga's organizing of the festival and seeing how she brought in a very uh, direct social justice piece that I saw is uh, being very key and integral to the event. And that really inspired me like seeing the water protectors panel and wondering what that would look like. If that is mushroom city with like an added element to it, or if maybe mushroom city merges into something else, but that it, and starting to, to ask some of those questions. I see the larger vision, the long-term vision, is people doing ecological restoration in their communities and there being many local mushroom farms providing food for people and also providing substrate for doing um, environmental cleanup work and that uh, now's the time for people to, to step forward uh, into these roles. And there's, there's many uh, levels and layers of, uh, of work to this, but getting people inspired and um, excited. I'm also talking in a very practical sense, but that there's also um, a really deep spiritual piece here too. And I'm not sure if you've seen the uh, new trailer for Fantastic Fungi, which has been uh, several years in the making, the Louis Schwartzberg piece, it has an absolute spiritual and uh, mystical even religious feel to it. And I think that that is uh, incredibly powerful right now and to recognize our larger connection to nature, the larger um, networks that we're part of and that we're not alone in this ecological crisis, um, but there are allies and elders in the natural world who we can connect to um, with an expanded sense of identity and self, which also involves a lot of uh, self-healing too. There's so much uh, alienation in our culture and so much uh, weight placed on the individual and on relationships just between people when we also have these uh, relationships with the far wider natural world, uh, which can nourish and sustain us. I love that
0: you're a community organizer and all the things you do and that you're a poet. So when you tell us about them, it sounds so lovely. (laughs) Yeah, you're such an inspiration to me as as an artist, as a community leader, as a
1: medicine person, as a a human. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's really, um, I then mean, it's kind of like breathtaking to uh, really uh, start to think about the larger world as part of ourselves, you know, and of course, in their own unique ways, indigenous communities like all over the world have already had these ecological knowledge systems that part of their worldview. And, you know, I'm um, studying, beginning to study right now, um, eco-psychology, and it's blowing my mind because it's seeing all these things that I was already writing about. And I'm like, oh, all of this is already contained in in eco-psychology which is expanding the realm of psychology to embrace the natural world and saying that there isn't, there's not a a division there. And that so much of the destruction of the natural world is part of, is is pathological and that it comes from uh, an alienation and separation that we don't recognize our, the larger world as being part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I really feel
0: that. And that's one of my motivations for being involved with Bloom Network. Um, you know, I actually got involved with it directly through psychedelic mushrooms. I, I was working with them a lot and kind of realized, oh, I should probably look into what people have been doing with these things for thousands of years and try to learn some and see what else is possible and enter into a relationship with that longer Lineage and you know, with no concept of what that is or like the details of the different kinds of psychedelic mushrooms and different peoples who may have worked with them around the world and so forth. Um, yeah, and uh, and really encountering a directness with that reality and coming out of that state of dissociation. and I, I see uh, Bloom Network now and connected with your work with Mushroom City Arts and. You know, each of the organizers in different cities are doing their own unique ways of organizing, connected with multiple different movements and initiatives in their cities and in different industries and academia and all these sorts of things. And uniquely contributing to that reconnection with the natural world and and like organizing, helping people self-organize societal Remedies to to the dissociation to to our communities, to our environments, to the the kinds of um yes yeah, segregation and inequality that are still so much bearing down on people. Um, so just a lot of respect to you in that, and I'm curious to hear your you know through the transition from Evolver to Bloom Network. I know you had kind of disconnected your work from Evolver because of the issues with you know there are issues with race, there are issues with class, and almost like hyper commodification of some of this stuff. And I'm curious, what motivates you to stay connected to Bloom Network and the international community of people that are there?
1: Uh-huh. Well, I'm I'm so inspired by the work that you've been doing the last five years, Magenta, to to transform the network and do the anti colonial work with the whole network to really transform it that there's a deep interpersonal work that's happening at the same time that we're doing these work in our communities and that's all connected together i did deliberately choose to separate mushroom city from evolver about five years ago and yeah it was it was just connected with a lot of just feeling that Volver was mainly using the scores as, um, I don't know, like to collect email lists to sell products to people. And that wasn't really connected to the work that we were doing or, I don't know, like Reality Sandwich, publishing a piece that was essentially attacking trans people. And that really didn't sit well with me, but that there's been huge work that you've help spearhead Bloom Network with the support of these other organizers. And I am so happy to be part of this reemergence. Um, true, Like Bloom really is, is blooming and it has a feminine quality to it and vision for saying, yeah, we're, we're doing this now and this new regenerative uh, world is, is happening now.
0: You mentioning the feminine reminds me of your work on the yin frontier and also how you talk about grandmother mycelium. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you'd like to share related to those two pieces.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. Thank, thank you for your acknowledgement of that. So uh, the yin frontier, it's an idea I've been returning to for the last nine years. Um, I actually originally encountered the concept in a short essay by Ursula K. Le Guin, and it's continued. I keep coming back to it in my writings, whether it was poetry nine years ago or an essay that I was working on last year on mycelium, mother trees, and regenerative culture and really seeing how grandmothers are like mother trees. So Dr. Suzanne Simard, who's a forest ecologist at the University of British Columbia, she's, uh, she's done work with showing how trees share resources with each other in a forest, and how they communicate with each other. And so it's really exciting to discover how there's a wood wide web in the ground beneath our feet and that the trees are talking to each other and also sharing resources through the mycelial network. And like, I think about human culture and how we have people in our society that act as mother trees too. And they also, you know, share emotional resources and are pillars in their community and are social connectors and underpin that social fabric. And I was really um, identifying grandmothers as very key in this and to see regenerative culture as part of a uh, grandmother culture. Uh, seeing like a like interconnected thread and understanding how the work that we're doing is intergenerational and that we're um, mm-hmm processing uh, trauma that has been passed down to us and we're also like building a world for future generations and just kind of like recognizing the I guess larger mycelial tapestry that we uh, occupy together.
0: That's so fun to receive how you said that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Yeah. I interviewed Mona Paloka for the essay that I wrote, and I know that there was like, and she ended up appreciating it overall. I know there was one point she was kind of reading it, and I guess she felt like I was saying things in a really technical way that right. like, her people already have known, you know? And so it was my really kind of white <laughs> way of languaging connection, which is part of that, that divide, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of coming back and yeah, finding language again, and then I'm working with this mentor. Um, his name's Paul Pule, and he's uh, done a, did his PhD in uh, eco masculinities. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of his work is saying that like all men are good. And that he's working on reclaiming masculine relationships with the feminine in nature and, you know, recognizing masculinities contained within all people, not, not just within men. But he does this men's work and, you know, think you know, like patriarchy, like that really is a site that's broken that needs that healing work. And so that is something that personally connected with me and has started to get me thinking about my settler identity in relationship to the lot and seeing the rebuilding of relationships happening on multiple levels. And I see this as um, mycorrhizae relationships in the soil and then also healing broken relationships, whether that's like patriarchal based or settler and recognizing that as part of this larger eco-social system. That's also awesome to receive. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, it's a lot of information I'm putting together right now. Yeah. Holy moly. How much longer do you have with your PhD? I'm in my third year, but I went part-time last year. Uh-huh. So it's now more like a five-year program for me. Yeah. I'm about halfway through, wow. parts of it are still mysterious to me that I haven't moved through yet, and I've become okay with not doing the three-year, there's some people that will graduate in three years, but they're yeah. just, they're in a different place in their lives, they don't have yeah. to do jobs, and they're yeah. able to do that, yeah. But yeah, just feeling really excited, just that I have so much support from my faculty advisor. And then I reached out to the scholar, Paul, who I met at Prescott April last year. He came in from Perth to attend our colloquium symposium. And he's just very receptive to me writing him. And I'm just really kind of blown away to have all the support, to have support from you. Hearing other women really kind of like struggling in the mycological community and feeling like unsupported. And then it's very much like a man's space. um, to be very much in an opposite space where people want to hear from me and value the work that I'm doing and are helping me get further along with that work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really beautiful your sense of. I mean, I see a lot of bloom organizers doing this, but the you articulated so clearly the 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 meshing of the different communities, like the mycological community your community through the sustainability education program, the community through the arts community in Baltimore Mm -hmm. and the Mushroom City Arts and the very like on the ground work. And then all the communities that those communities are interfaced with. And I Uh think there's so much separation Mm -hmm. in terms of community and organizing and politics and organizational structure and, yeah the, the i don't know if that's from patriarchy or colonialism mm-hmm. or you know hyper specialization through industrialization and and that sort of thing um <laughs> but the 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 re-weaving of those relationships that are happening across all of us now like as we have yeah. to face the yeah. monumental challenges right now um yeah it's really yeah, that's beautiful.
1: true yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right like my point of view connecting with multiple networks and um yeah yeah that's true that's a really positive um overlapping network space internet internet work space yeah. one thing i'm
0: curious about with all this stuff i mean maybe it's already happening and i just haven't been in relationship with christian people or people of other faith where they center their community in their faith and in church and that sort of thing um but I'm really curious to watch more of the those community intersections start to happen through... I'm curious if Bloom will do this at some point too, um, like engage with faith-based communities in mm-hmm. terms of doing environmental work. Or I'm sure that happens in those communities a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking of the different kinds of youth programs or mm-hmm. probably justice-related stuff that religious communities do sometimes. I don't know. That's something I'm like curious about learning more. But I actually have a mentor around that. Her name's Leslie Meehan. She's the, the woman mm-hmm. who runs the Thriving Resilient Communities Collaboratory, which is part of the yeah. Threshold Foundation. Uh-huh. We just got a grant from them for Bloom Network. But she is an interfaith minister, and mm-hmm. she works with this project called Charter of Compassion. They're all about kind of building relationships across different Ministers and faiths and churches and stuff, but also civic officials toward signing a charter of compassion is what it's called. I don't know that much about it, but anyway, she's someone I could ask about the religious side of things.
1: No, I guess you're speaking about inner Christian communities and thinking about attending the Johnston Square Community Association meetings, and they kind of like begin and end with a prayer, and um. It has been really powerful for me to attend their meetings and really see like um, the regenerative culture in Baltimore, which isn't separate from this more um, predominantly white, psychedelic, um, you know, but seeing the black community in Baltimore really creating on the ground solutions for themselves And uh, really, I have to enter their spaces to connect to those communities, because they're not going to be attending the same events that I'm attending. In understanding that their remediation work is happening with their consent and approval and is part of their larger vision for the remediation of Johnston Square. Huge thanks
0: to Robin for taking the time to be on the podcast. If you'd like to support her work and Mushroom City Art Festival, you can make a donation at mushroomcityartfestival.org. You might also like to check out the show notes on the Bloom blog to find links to projects mentioned in the show and a bit more information on what bioremediation is. You'll also find a link there to the New Moon Mycology Summit's website, and they have the dates posted for their 2019 summit and I highly recommend taking a look at the 2018 speaker listings and descriptions of what the workshops were about. A fair amount of our listeners are transformational festival goers, and I'm really passionate about really grounded and practical information being presented at gatherings, and I'd love to share this as inspiration for what's possible for how we go about teaching each other. And for that matter, I think it applies to people who work in a corporate context and go to normal conferences as well. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please consider becoming a member of Bloom Network at bloomnetwork.org. And lastly, let us know who you'd like to hear on this show. Drop us a line at community at bloomnetwork.org. Boom,
1: bow, boom, boom, bow, boom, boom. Do you want to bloom in my hands? The stars are singing for.